up, you beautiful bastards? Hope you have a fantastic Monday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. I have missed you over these 96 hours. Not seeing your comments. Me not threatening you if you do not hit that like button on an exceptionally large show. Me not having to refilm things because I pronounced things incorrectly and or my S's ran together with other S words. We're back together now. So with that said, let's just jump into it. And the first thing we're gonna talk about today is we had video games in the news separate from the video game news about the villainization of video games. I mean, it's getting ridiculous. Over the weekend, you had ABC and ESPN postponing an Apex Legends tournament because of the the gun violence. You probably had Walmart pulling displays of violent video games. You know, fully addressing the root of the real problem. But aside from that, you had this very messy Twitch uh, and Ninja, Tyler Blevins situation. For the uninitiated here, Twitch, of course, one of the premier streaming platforms for live gaming. And Tyler Blevins, AKA Ninja, one of the most popular Fortnite players in the world, just really, really blew up on Twitch and then everything else followed. And recently we covered how Blevins had moved over to a rival service called Mixer. And what followed this was, was rather interesting. Blevins ended up pulling fantastic live viewer numbers on Mixer, showing that he was larger than the platform that he blew up on. And we saw a ton of people downloading the Mixer app. I mean, it just popped up on the charts. Even as of recording this video, it is number eight in entertainment. But the story today isn't about Ninja's good numbers. Rather, it is about Twitch's handling of Ninja's departure. And, you know, soon after Ninja left, we started seeing things like his little partner check mark that went away. And then rather than the page just saying like a, like a user was offline or that the account was deactivated, we saw something different. When you went to his page, you would see a channel icon in the text, the ninja you're looking for is in another castle. Check out these popular live channels. And so instead, it would promote other content, seemingly trying to hope that people would stay with Twitch. But you know, you saw some people saying, well, they're just recommending other channels. Other people saying this is just very, very, very petty. But over the weekend, it appears that this decision on Twitch's part blew up in their face. It appears in this screenshot that blew up over the weekend, there was a porn stream being recommended on that page. So of course, a huge problem in general, but made even worse when you consider the fact that Ninja's audience is largely just underage kids. Following this, we saw Ninja speak out in a video. There was a porn account that was number one being recommended on my channel. And I have no say in any of this stuff. So this is like, the, this is the line, this is the straw. We're trying to get the whole channel taken down to begin with, or at least not promote other streamers and other channels on my brand, on my freaking profile. So for anyone who saw that, for anyone whose kids or, or who just didn't obviously want to see that, I apologize. And, uh, and I'm sorry. And this story just got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point that the CEO of Twitch actually responded. And in it, he opens by uh, by apparently saying that, you know, this isn't uh, essentially pettiness, that this is part of an experiment. Saying our community comes to Twitch looking for live content to help ensure they find great live channels. We've been experimenting with showing recommended content across Twitch, including on streamers pages that are offline. This helps all streamers as it creates new community connections. But then adding, however, the lewd content that appeared on the Ninja offline channel page grossly violates our terms of service and we've permanently suspended the account in question. Also adding what he regarded as the experiments. We have also suspended these recommendations while we investigate how this content came to be promoted. And then adding on a more personal note, I want to apologize directly to Ninja that this happened. It wasn't our intent, but it shouldn't have happened. No excuses. And with all of that, they also changed Ninja's channel back to the way it used to look. But of course, following that, there are still a ton of people that aren't really buying that. That it was just kind of this experiment that went awry. This including Tyler's wife, Jessica Blevins, who tweeted, Twitch is doing PR control right now, but it seems their intent from the beginning was to try to kill Ninja Brand. They say 
promoting other channels on his page wasn't of ill intent, but here is a Twitch co-founder saying rip with a winky face to Tyler's transition. Petty. But ultimately, that is where we are with this story right now. And, and what I'll say as an outsider, right, I'm looking from the outside in on the situation. I cannot speak to anyone's intent. The mishandling of this situation by Twitch is, is mind-boggling. Sure, you can feel burned by a creator who, I mean, you guys had mutual success. 99 times out of 100, the best way to handle a situation is you just say, good luck, thumbs up, have a great one, and then don't touch anything. Because otherwise you turned that person into a victim and people will always choose a creator over a giant company. Even in a situation where it's that creator signing up with another giant company. And so in this situation, all you're doing is adding gasoline to the screw Twitch fire, which, hey, may just be a small blip, but it's a whole hell of a lot bigger than it would have been if you didn't just shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, that's where I'm gonna leave this one and of course pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts here? You see this as pettiness blowing up into the company's face. This is uh, an orchestrated campaign to go after him him, or is it something else? Just unfortunately timed experiments and a little bit of stupid. Man, any and all thoughts on this, I'd love to see in those comments down below. And then let's continue to talk about and update a story we've been covering for a while now, and that is the situation in Hong Kong. Because you know, these protests in Hong Kong have now officially been going on for 10 weeks. And as you might remember, these protests originally started over a proposed extradition bill that would have allowed certain criminal suspects to be transferred to mainland China. Many seeing this as China tightening its grip on Hong Kong. And Hong Kong's chief executive, Carrie Lam, did eventually suspend the bill, but didn't fully withdraw it. And so the protesters kept going because until the bill was fully withdrawn, it could be brought back at any time. And while the extradition bill does continue to drive the demonstrations, the protesters have also expanded their demands to call for broad democratic reform, as well as Lamb's resignation and independent investigation into alleged police brutality and release and amnesty for protesters who have been arrested, among other things. And keep in mind, this is an incredible oversimplification of everything that we've covered in several shows. So if you want to see those, of course, I'll link to them down below. But the reason that we're talking about this today is in part because of Monday afternoon local time thousands of protesters flooded Hong Kong's international airport, right? And this prompted authorities to cancel all flights in one of the world's busiest hubs. And reportedly, a smaller number of protesters had already been staging a peaceful sit-in over the last three days at the airport without disrupting services or flights. But protest members called for a larger demonstration at the airport after undercover police dressed as protesters fired tear gas inside a subway station during demonstrations on Sunday. In what was reportedly one of the few times police have used tear gas in an enclosed area. Other videos taken at Sunday's protest showed police firing non-lethal objects in close range of protesters trying to flee down an escalator at another subway station. We also saw reports that protesters in other parts of the city injured some police officers after throwing bricks and petrol bombs. The director of Amnesty International Hong Kong condemned the police's actions, saying in a statement, Hong Kong police have once again used tear gas and rubber bullets in a way that have fallen short of international standards. Firing at retreating protesters in confined areas where they had little time to leave goes against the purported objective of dispersing a crowd. And as a result of Sunday's violence, Monday's protests seem to be specifically targeted at the police, who for a while now, protesters have accused of brutality and abusing their power. During Monday's protest, demonstrators could be seen holding signs that said, don't trust the police, or that displayed pictures of the violent clashes between protesters and police. Some protesters reportedly shouted, turn back, and others held signs apologizing for the inconvenience to travelers. As of recording this video, most of the protesters have dispersed, though reportedly a couple hundred still remain in the airport. And that protest on Monday is not the first time the protesters have demonstrated in the airport. In fact, they've done it several times before. Demonstrating in the airport is one of the tactics that protesters have recently been using to disrupt businesses and transportation in Hong Kong, which is a massive commerce center. And in fact, just last Monday, tens of thousands of protesters brought massive parts of the city to a complete standstill during the city's first general strike in over 50 years. And in that general strike, workers from nearly 20 different sectors participated. You had teachers, security workers, construction workers, and almost 14,000 people from the engineering sector alone. And notably there, more than 2,300 workers in the aviation industry joined the strikes, forcing more than 200 flights to be canceled. And during that strike, crowds of protesters all over Hong Kong set up barricades, blocked roads, and shut down train services. 
protesters. Protesters reportedly threw projectiles and started fires outside of police buildings, and police used more than 1,000 tear gas canisters and 160 rubber bullets in response to the gathering. In addition to the protesters clashing with police more often, violence there. As you might remember, the last time we talked about Hong Kong, there were 44 civilians who were injured in an attack in a subway station. Specifically, they were beaten with rods and other weapons by individuals believed to be connected to organized crime groups. The protesters accusing the police of gross negligence at the very least, and others even accused the government of hiring the gangs to attack anti-government protesters. And since we talked about that last, we've seen these groups attack protesters several more times. We've also seen police ramp up their efforts to arrest protesters. According to reports, police have said 592 people have been arrested since the protests began on June 9th, with those arrested reportedly between the ages of 13 to 76. Some of those people are facing charges that include rioting, which is a charge that can carry a prison term of up to 10 years. And while right now, of course, a large part of this is focused on what is happening in the streets, the, the treatment of protesters, what businesses are being shut down, a massive part of this, of course, is focused on how is the government reacting. And I mean that both as the government of Hong Kong, as well as what is happening with China. Right, so Hong Kong Chief Executive Lam, she recently responded saying she will not step down and largely denied the protesters' demand. And speaking for the first time in two weeks, last Monday, Lam said that Hong Kong is, quote, on the verge of a very dangerous situation. Also accusing the protesters of having a hidden agenda, saying, we continue to allow these violent protesters to make use of the Fugitive Offender Bill to conceal their ulterior motives. Those ulterior motives are going to destroy Hong Kong. And in addition to saying that she refused to resign, Lam also claimed it was not in her power to demand the release of people who were arrested during the protest. And adding on Friday that an investigation into the police would be inappropriate because they are busy responding to the protest. She also pivoted to say that these protests were hurting Hong Kong's economy. And while many have said that Lam's response here is predictable and falls in line with her positions throughout this whole ordeal, others have noted that recent responses from China are far more alarming. People pointing on Monday to the Global Times, a state-backed Chinese newspaper sharing a video of armored carriers heading towards a city that borders Hong Kong. This is in advance of what the paper referred to as large-scale exercises by a paramilitary unit. The Global Times also writing that the tasks and missions of the paramilitary unit included dealing with rebellions, riots, serious violent and illegal incidents, terrorist attacks, and other social security incidents. Also Monday night, China's state broadcaster CCTV issued a headline that said, alert, there are signs of terrorism on the streets of Hong Kong. And later reportedly warned, no country can accept terrorist acts in its own country. Hong Kong has reached an important juncture. End violence and restore order is the most important, urgent, and overriding task of Hong Kong at present. We also saw a spokesperson for the Chinese government department responsible for Hong Kong condemn the violence in a press conference saying, the radical demonstrators in Hong Kong have repeatedly attacked police with extremely dangerous tools in recent days, which constitutes a serious violent crime, and now they are descending into terrorism. And continuing, we should relentlessly crack down on such violent criminal acts without mercy, and we firmly support Hong Kong police and judicial authorities in bringing the criminals to justice as soon as possible. And all of this comes just a little over a week after a video was released showing Chinese soldiers who were practicing firing on demonstrators. But ultimately, that is where we are with the situation right now. It looks like it is continuing to escalate. It also, and I'll say this is my opinion, but it seems pretty transparent, that China is more and more laying the groundwork to justify some sort of large-scale military action. And honestly, I think most of this just boils down to the question of, is China willing to risk having another Tiananmen Square? Which, of course, is the bloody and horrible government crackdown from 1989, an event that China censors in-country, but of course is known internationally. And here we already see them setting up the framework of, it's not a government crackdown on peaceful protesters. Instead, their narrative is that their hand may be forced because they're having to fight terrorism. But for now, we watch, we wait, and we'll see. And then, of course, let's talk about this Jeffrey Epstein situation. He, as you've likely seen at this point, according to reports, died of an apparent suicide on Saturday. And for those who don't know, I'll, I'll link to our previous coverage, but to, to oversimplify this, Epstein was a wealthy financier who was accused of trafficking underage girls for sex. And as far as his death, what we do know is that Epstein was being held in the Metropolitan Correctional Center in New York City. On July 23rd, he reportedly was placed on suicide watch after being found in a cell with bruises on his neck, which authorities say were the result of a possible suicide attempt, this coming a 
few days after he was denied bail. But according to reports on July 29th, he was taken off of suicide watch. He was then moved to a special housing unit in the prison. According to a report from the Washington Post, officers were supposed to check on him every 30 minutes, but hours had apparently gone by without him being checked on before his body was found. Additionally, the report said that someone in Epstein's position is supposed to have a cellmate, but reportedly his cellmate had been transferred on Friday, leaving him alone in his unit. And now an autopsy has been conducted, but results have not been made public as it is reportedly pending further information. And Epstein's death comes just a day after unsealed court documents brought up new details to a defamation suit against his associate, Ghislaine Maxwell. And Maxwell is an English socialite who has been accused of helping Epstein recruit young women to force them to have sex with him and other men. And notably here, right now, her whereabouts are completely unknown. But reportedly, the details come from an accuser who said that Epstein began abusing her when she was 16. And the documents reportedly mention that Epstein had relationships with high-profile people like Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, and Prince Andrew. And so now there are multiple investigations into Epstein's death being led by the FBI, the Department of Justice, and the New York Medical Examiner's Office. Because many are wondering how such a prominent inmate who was supposed to be heavily monitored was able to kill themselves in federal prison. Right, and we're talking about everyone asking questions across the board, everyone from the AOCs of the world all the way to Attorney General William Barr, who actually notably released a statement on Saturday saying, I was appalled to learn that Jeffrey Epstein was found dead early this morning from an apparent suicide while in federal custody. Mr. Epstein's death raises serious questions that must be answered. In addition to the FBI's investigation, I have consulted with the Inspector General who is opening an investigation into the circumstances of Mr. Epstein's death. And today, Barr made further comment. We are now learning of serious irregularities at this facility that are deeply concerning and demand a thorough investigation. The FBI and the Office of Inspector General are doing just that. We will get to the bottom of what happened and there will be accountability. But let me assure you that this case will continue on against anyone who was complicit with Epstein. Any co-conspirators should not rest easy. The victims deserve justice and they will get it. Also, in addition to there being a lot of questions around the circumstances of his death, there are also a lot of questions about what happens to the investigation into his alleged sex trafficking, which, as of right now, the investigation remains open. Manhattan U.S. Attorney Jeffrey S. Berman released a statement saying, Today's events are disturbing, and we are deeply aware of their potential to present yet another hurdle to giving Epstein's many victims their day in court. To those brave young women who have already come forward, and to the many others who have yet to do so, let me reiterate that we remain committed to standing for you and our investigation of the conduct charged in the indictment, which includes Included, a conspiracy count remains ongoing. And so right now, people are saying that this investigation could turn to the other people accusers have mentioned working with Epstein in the case. Although officially, no other co-conspirators have been named and he was the only one listed in the indictment, so criminal charges against him are done. Though regarding partial justice, the victims will be able to file a civil suit against his estate. And according to Bloomberg, his net worth was $500 million. His state reportedly including, but not limited to, a New York mansion, a private island, and properties in New Mexico, Paris, and Palm Beach. Bloomberg also saying that the alleged victim's lawyers are asking to freeze his as a state and that the legal process that could result in compensation could last for years. But also understandably for some of his accusers, the fact that Epstein won't see his day in court is incredibly upsetting. With Jennifer Arawaz telling Rolling Stone, I am angry Jeffrey Epstein won't have to face the survivors of his abuse in court. We have to live with the scars of his actions for the rest of our lives while he will never face the consequences of the crimes he committed, the pain and the trauma he caused so many people. And ultimately with this story, that's where, where I really end covering it. There is another aspect to this story, that being the number of conspiracy theories. Some blaming President Trump and Attorney General William Barr, some blaming the Clintons, a conspiracy theory that was actually retweeted by the president. And understand, I am open to any and all possibilities of what 
actually transpired. We're talking about a situation of a high-profile, mega-rich predator who had so many connections that they include names like the current president of the United States and a former president of the United States. And I look forward to any and all new information that comes out, other bastards that hopefully get implicated. But the fact that we have people from all different political spectrums definitively saying they know what transpired is, is concerning. Because of course there is the possibility that a mega-rich lifetime predator who has never really faced justice, all of a sudden that person gets locked in a box and appears very much they are never going to get out of that box. That person may be in a state of mind to commit suicide. And according to reports, he was not on suicide watch anymore. But even according to the data, that still might not have stopped him. According to reports, a study from the U.S. Marshal Service found that 8% of suicides in correctional facilities occurred even though an inmate was on suicide watch. And so that's why the primary focus of this story is not a deep dive into all of the different conspiracy theories. Instead, it's a reporting of what we definitively know, what investigations are happening now, where we can expect more facts to come later. But ultimately, like I said, that's where we're going to end with this one today. And of course, as always, I pass the question off to you. And that's where I'm going to end today's show. And hey, if you liked today's show, I'd love if you took a second to hit that like button. Also, if you're new here, you want more of these daily dives into the news, be sure to hit subscribe. Definitely click that bell to turn on notifications. Also, if you're craving more video goodness, maybe you missed the last Philip DeFranco show or this extra bonus video, you can click or tap right there to watch those. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.